This is Corey Gray and Tony Stewart from Hairdistry. Thank you for tuning in to the Hairdressers Podcast. Now here's a word from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Introducing Norm Self-Checkout for All. Do you often find yourself in a tizzy with a credit card reader? Or perhaps tiptoeing around tipping etiquette? Maybe even paying scandalously steep card not present fees? Norm is here to solve it all. Think of Norm as payment simplified. No card reader for you. No wallet for your client. Instead, patrons pay and tip you straight from their phones. Checkout details are carried through the ether by either a text message or QR code. Your client receives a notification and pays with their previously saved card details. All they have to do is add a grand, luxurious gratuity. And all available with one low rate as a part of Schedulicity Pay. Try Norm Self Checkout for All. Safe, secure, and shockingly simple. Find out how using Norm can increase tips, speed up payment, and free you from unreliable card readers all at one low rate. Visit paywithnorm.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, and this amazing podcast is brought to you by Schedulicity. Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tony. What's up, Tony? What's going on, brother? Uh, excited about today, like we say every week, but, um, you know, we just, we, we have the greatest job in the world. We get to talk to really cool, smart people, so, of course, we're really excited about each day. Yeah, well, they're definitely a whole lot smarter than we are. <laughs> well, which, you know, makes it easier to be excited about, you know? Right, and, uh, you know, what's so cool about today is that we get to... Uh, you know, we started a conversation and we ended up losing power. Uh, and so we, like, we had to reschedule this conversation. But uh, so we were excited then. It allowed us to get even more excited now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she's uh, she's something special. Yeah. So our guest today is Carla Jones. Um, I We actually I heard about Carla, not heard about, but I heard Carla on Clubhouse. And I was like, who is this dynamic woman? And we got to bring her on. Um, I, th- I think I sent it to you, right? Like yeah. the clubhouse, I go, you got to listen to, you got to listen to Miss <laughs> Carla. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she's in our industry, but, uh, but her, um, her, her journey to the industry was a little bit different than, than, than a lot of us. Yeah. And, uh, we've been following, following her ever since. And, uh, we've been, you know, we were in all of her then we're even in more of all today. So, uh, I can't wait to get into this conversation and she has so much to offer our industry and mm-hmm. she is, like you said earlier, she is truly dynamic. Truly dynamic. Um, and uh, we already, before we even got on air, she gave us a great quote and she said, you know, the 11th commandment is be flexible. And and and, and I think she kind of cursed us a little bit by saying that because, you know, this is like our third time trying to get her on the, uh, on right. the podcast. So, you know, it, we're testing the 11th, uh, the 11th commandment about being flexible. So and hopefully today is the day. Hopefully today is the day because I don't know how we, how many starts we can have and uh, um, how much we can talk about it. Shall we get in? We got time. So yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no doubt. We all have time. 
Um, let's get it. So, Miss Carla Jones, welcome to your day off. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Dude, we're so like we said, we're excited to have you. We're, right. we're finally, hopefully, today is the day. You know, at the end of the podcast, we'll, charm. So we're going with that. That's it. Yeah, Third right. time is a charm. That's yeah. exactly. I exactly it. Right. You know, I can see the sun, daylight. No, you're right. We're like, okay, Lord. it's pretty here too so we're we should be good yeah you know we're cursing us i've seen (laughs) he has a lot of trees and so hopefully a tree doesn't fall (laughs) yeah right (laughs) stop so uh so carla where where um where are you from where are you now and where'd you grow up Okay, so very loaded question. So where I am from, um, multiple multiple places. I was born. So the reason I have to say I was born, of course, we were all born, but I was born in Florida. Uh, From the story that my mother told me about three months old, we moved to Columbus, Ohio. So I literally lived in Columbus, Ohio until I was 12. And then we moved back to Florida to my mom's hometown, which is Hawthorne, Florida, right outside of Gainesville. Everybody knows the look, the gators. You're in the swamp land. OK. <laughs> and so you're in the swamp. And um, I graduated from high school there, attended Florida A&M University, graduated from there and left um, Florida in about 1985 with my first job uh, at General Motors as a manufacturing supervisor, Plant 14 in Pontiac, Michigan. How did you get from Florida to Michigan? Like, was it just like a newspaper ad or or how'd you get up there? No, um, believe it or not. So this is, I'm putting this out to the universe, but Times Magazine even put it on their cover. That Florida A&M business school was one of, is one of the best business schools in the the country. It uh, basically, we're sort of even with Harvard. And um, one of the requirements for graduating was that we had to do three internships prior to graduation. And I uh, uh, initially got placed to go to New York with Chase Manhattan for my internships. And then last minute, um, it was changed and I was sent to Pontiac, Michigan to General Motors. And um, hold on, hold on, hold on. Was that a letdown? Like you're like, oh, I'm going to big town. I didn't know at the time. It, at first it was because I was a little confused, like, well, why would they move me like from banking to manufacturing? So I think this was like a God moment, to be honest. OK, not knowing. And so I'm like, OK, I'll roll with it because I didn't know one way or the other. So um, she was obeying this, the 11th commandment even then. Right. <laughs> and my first assignment during that internship was in engineering. And even though I um, literally contemplated majoring in architecture, um, I moved to business. It was faster. I had a child at the time. So I wanted something that would get me out of school a little quicker, but still afford me the opportunity to have a good, you know, career. And so I, um, it was a little boring for me. So I asked the next time I you know, if I got an opportunity to come back, could I try something different? Um, I was set at a draw a, a drawing board all day, and I actually made adjustments to future designs. Now, how did they know I could do that? I don't know. But um, <laughs> that was when I truly realized, hmm, maybe architecture wasn't your thing because sitting here for hours uh, was boring to me. So the next assignment that I got, I did come back. I literally was granted, not the first time. So the second time I came back during the summer, um, they asked me if I would like to try manufacturing. I was like, hey, 
as long as it doesn't stay still. And it didn't. <laughs> and I fell in love with manufacturing. And um, I was assigned with a supervisor and literally, you know, six o'clock every morning or five o'clock, you're at the plant. You don't know when you're going to leave. Everything is just happening. You know what time you get there. And that's the only thing you know every day. You know what time you'll get there. You don't know what kind of day our you know, products going to get there. You've got a, some type of dust in a, um, in a, a mold that's causing dings in your metal, you know, the whole nine yards. And I just fell in love with it because there was no minute and no two days the same. It was a constant movement. And did, and did Florida AM, A&M uh, find you these internships? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't, they have a, um, we had, now this is really funny. We didn't go to school in jeans. Everybody knew you were in the school of business and industry because as a freshman, you got a dress code list. We wore suits to class. I wore suits for four years. My last semester was when I could wear jeans, a t-shirt and look like any normal college student. But we literally had a dress code. We had cross pins. We had uh, what color suits we had to wear, burgundy, blue, grays, um, you know, pantyhose, um, your briefcase. That's how we went to school. That's how we every day. So everybody knew you were in SBI. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't no hiding, was there? There was no hiding. You were in school of business and industry. And so we also had, um, um, once a week, it was like an orders club. Um, and we had, um, different executives that would come in once a week and we had what they call forum and forum was for every school of business and industry student. We would meet, Uh, And it was like a panel discussion with those corporate leaders that came in that week. Uh, We got to ask questions and it was just, you know, we would have um, uh, different um, after events after those forums. So it was a whole training. I mean, it was not the normal college kind of day. You so know, it was just so so just, just so I understand it, it was a it was a I don't want to say basic it was an undergraduate it was a four year mm-hmm. program but you were getting the business degree during that it's not it wasn't like a master's like an MBA program mm-hmm. no it That's was an incredible. undergraduate bachelor degree program and that was our day that was how we went to school. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Actually, you know, you think about like uh, like Zuckerberg and you think about um, Steve Jobs where like they 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 always wear the same thing because they they, they believe. And, and I think there's some science behind it. You're only you're only capable of making so many decisions in a day. Mm-hmm. Right. So you wear the same exact thing. So clothes is no longer a decision. Right. And then and then you can make, you know, more important, like how to make an iPhone or something. <laughs> some and I, kind and, of and to be honest with that, that is so true. When you can eliminate what it is you're going to wear, I mean, that's a big thing. You know how many times, especially women, we try to figure out what we're going to wear every day. It's just ridiculous. And the time. So I think now is really a great time because we don't have all of the the rigid requirements we did back in the 80s, you know, graduating and going into corporate. And this would be there were just unspoken rules. You just knew. Um, But now with the freedom and flexibility, there we are, that 11th one. Um, freedom and flexibility, I think, you know, just corporate and, and it's, it's spilling over. I hope I, I want to be a leader of that changing um, how we do business in the industry and um, what does that look like in the future? And so um, because for me, the old way is not serving our new um, stylists. 
Well, you now you just brought up the industry. How did you find the industry? <laughs> in a mall. <laughs> in a mall? Literally in a mall. Okay. So I have no family members that have ever been in the beauty industry. From my mom to my grandma to my aunts, they all went to college for education. And initially... I sort of thought about it, but I was like, I'm going to break the mold. I'm going to do something different. And what do I do? I now love to teach. So now I'm thinking about going back to school to get a master's in education, even though I have a master's in business. But um, I was actually in Tail 12 Mall in Michigan on one weekend. And this was probably 86. And uh, Meryl Norman had these women sitting at this desk and they were doing something that I had never seen. So I walked over and I'm like, okay, what are they doing? They were nail techs. I had never seen anybody do, you know, like miraculous wonders transforming these women's fingers. And I was a nail biter and I was looking at my nails and I was like, wonder if they could, you know, do something with this. So I asked a few questions and the young lady let me just watch and I made an appointment. But here's the thing. The, they were so booked that it took me three months to get an appointment with this young lady. Stop it. Literally. And I waited. I could not. I was like, I'm not canceling. I don't care what comes up. I am going. And when she transformed my nails, I literally drove home. <laughs> it's a wonder I didn't have an accident. <laughs> I couldn't even watch the road. I was so busy looking at my hands like this on the steering wheel, right? I had never seen anything so beautiful. For the first time in my life, I was like, oh my God, my hands are gorgeous. I was just in love. And on the second um, appointment, I started asking her questions. So she worked part-time um, and she made $37,000 a year. Now, mind you, I had hired in two um, uh, General Motors, four-year degree, painstaking, all this debt, and I hired in at $39,000, and I'm working six and seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day. This woman is literally coming in at four o'clock and leaving at nine, and she's $2,000 a year less. Gets to sit here, gets to talk, can drink her little water, you know, we're chilling, and that is literally... How I think. And then I asked her, I said, so how long did it take you to go to school? And she said, 240 hours. I said, I looked at the clock and I said, like an hour on that clock. I said, like a clock hour, like 60 minutes. She said, yes. I said, like eight weeks. (laughs) And you're making 37,000. I was like, oh, no, no, something's wrong with this picture. And from that moment on, I knew this was, it was a wrap for me. It was a wrap. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. My mother thought I had lost my mind, but I was serious. I didn't do it right away because, of course, I'm listening to my mom. There's no money in it. I don't even know why you're going to leave those places. Now, at the time when I made the decision, I had left General Motors and I was with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. I was a pharmaceutical sales rep still in Michigan. Um, Well, actually, I left Michigan and went to Illinois. And in Illinois, I was still in manufacturing. And um, Illinois was not a licensed state at the time for nails. So I could just go to classes and, you know, different trade shows. And that's what I did. And even my nail tech knew I had an interest. So she would tell me, well, you need to get the nails magazine and nails pro and go to this show. And that's what I started doing. And um, 
when Illinois became licensed, I could have been grandfathered in, but I'm a person that believes if somebody requires a documentation or now it's a licensing, they have, you know, requirements, there's a reason. And they must be teaching something that I'm not going to get on my own right away. So I chose to go to school. And um, when I went for an interview and the gentleman, the owner, Mr. Les, found out my background, he recommended that I get a full cosmetology license. Now, mind you, I had long hair. I wore it in a ponytail all the time. I never had any interest in hair. Matter of fact, I hated doing my own. And I looked at him and I was like, hmm, I don't know about that. I mean, I don't really want to do no hair. And he said, but with your background, you would have options. And that's all he had to tell me. I said, options. So I could do more than this. He said, you could do so much more than this. I was like, okay, sign me up. I'll do that. I'm going to slow you down just a second. Okay. Because there's a big part of the picture that, that we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. And that is that, and you mentioned it when you were in college, but, but I, I, I kind of, all these decisions that you're making are easier when you're, when, when you're single and when you're just taking care of oneself. Yeah. But, but, but early on, you said when you were in college, you, you, um, you, you also, was it a daughter that you said? I have a son. At son? the time I had a son. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So, so once again, you're not making this decision for yourself. You also have a son that you have to take care of, you know, both financially. So, so the risk is like, I don't know if that's squared or, or, or whatever, but, oh, but the risk is much greater right. than, and, 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 and your mom must've been, you know, she must've thrown your son in your face too. Like, what's his name? Kenry. I call Kenry. him Kenry. It's, uh-huh. You're Ken. like, Ken, Ken, you know, she must have been like, what are you going to do with Ken? Right. You know, and and actually that was the conversation for real. Um, now, here's the mind blower. I got pregnant at 13. I delivered at 14. I literally was in the ninth grade. And my mind, because my mother asked that very same question, I don't even know how you're going to do it. How do you think you're going to take care of this child? And that was never a question. That was never anything I thought about. I never even thought about I couldn't take care of him. And here's the thing. Now, you can call it naive because I was 13, right? So I wasn't looking through the lens of experience that my mother knew in raising a child. Um, The only experience I had was caring for my sister who was seven years younger, all right? And so I was like, well, if I could take care of her, I'm sure I could take care of baby, right? That belongs to me. That, That was my mindset. Like, you gave me her when she was a baby. I'm pretty experienced at that part, but she was thinking long-term finances, that kind of. My thought was, I'm smart. If I can stay in school, I can make a life for us. Now, I would be remiss to say that my mother was cool with this whole idea. My mother did everything she could for me not to keep that baby. Um, Adoption, the whole nine yards, but Believe it or not, in the state of Florida, the state of Florida allows any woman, young girl at the age of 12 to make a decision for herself. Mm-hmm. And that in regards to what she wants to do with the child. So when I was told that by a counselor, that was the end of the discussion. My mother couldn't say anything else to me about nothing. So mm-hmm. literally, I, I knew enough. And here's the thing. My mother did not discover I was pregnant until I was six and a half months pregnant. I was stealing, I will say this nationally now, okay? (laughs) I was stealing books out of the library on babies. Wow. Yeah. When I realized that, oops, you might be pregnant, I started stealing books out the library because, of course, they didn't have those little things, you know, you just walk in and walk out. (laughs) So 
I would take books and I would take Dr. Spock books because he was one of the well-known child psychologists, see? And I knew that because my mother was in early childhood education and we had a lot of Dr. Spock books in my house. (laughs) 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 So even though she didn't know I was paying attention, I was paying attention. So he was the person I was looking for, for books on, you know, um, gestational periods, like how long does it take and how do you calculate from the time you conceived to when the baby was due. So my first doctor's appointment, literally I had all the information for him. I mean, you know, and I think they were really surprised, like, oh my gosh. So yeah, that, um, and the only thing that I didn't discover was that you don't drink vitamin D milk, white milk for white milk. I didn't like white milk, so I drank chocolate milk, but chocolate milk doesn't have vitamin D. And I didn't know that. So I didn't get the right vitamin D up until that time. Um, but I was drinking plenty of chocolate milk because I, <laughs> I was, you know, it's Small milk. bones, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, but uh, I, I guess I should have studied more about the nutritional value. You know, any 13-year-old, I mean, you, you, your mom had to be super proud as, as far as how smart you were because I don't know any 13-year-old would have gone out of the way like that to figure out you know, with Dr. Spot books or, or whatever to on their own to figure out what they need to do for themselves. Yeah. 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 And, and I'm also, I'm also blown away that, that you got into this program at Florida A&M. I assume it's a, it's a program that you had to qualify for, you know, not, not just everybody's it. So, you know, here you are, you have a four-year-old going into college or you have a two-year-old or a three-year-old while you're in high school, you know, maintaining some kind of, some kind of high grade point average with, with some mm-hmm. kind of like intellect under, you know, under it to, to be able to qualify for this, for this business program. I mean, I'm blown away by that because I didn't even learn how to be a parent until my daughter was like 18. So, well, here's the thing. Because um, in the state of Florida, back in 1978, it was the first year they rolled out a certificate of attendance for high school. And my class, which would have been the class of 79, would have been the first class required to pass this exam to be given a diploma, regardless of your grade point average. If you didn't pass this exam, you were going to be given a certificate of attendance versus a high school diploma. Well, in the 11th grade, they allowed us, or of course we were the beta testers is what they call it now, right? (laughs) They gave us the beta test and only three blacks in my class passed that test and I was one of them. They also gave us the option of if we graduated that year, we could keep, well, if we graduated that year or we graduated the next year, we would no longer have to take that test. We could keep that score. And then, of course, we were going to get a high school diploma. Well, I wanted to stay in school, even though I didn't need any more credits. I literally had enough credits in the 11th grade to graduate. But I wanted the uh, last year because I had a 3.98 GPA and I was in my class, the valedictorian. Well, my mother, when she found out all about that test and I didn't need any more credits, which I don't know if I told her that or whatever, but it was the biggest mistake for me that I felt I made. Um, And so she was like, well, why do you need to stay in school another year if you can graduate? Well, it wasn't really about that. It was about me having achieved all of this with this child. And I wanted that recognition. I wanted the whole world, meaning (laughs) all 1,000 people in Hawthorne to know, (laughs) right? Because that's the population. Might have been 1,300 at the time. Uh, 
it was a big accomplishment for me. So it literally was a huge thing in our school. I mean, every teacher was fighting my mother. She was not budging on it. And needless to say, I lost. Um, I didn't get any recognition. They put me at the very bottom, tail end of 1978's graduating class. Um, It was within three weeks of graduation. I literally graduated. Wow. Yeah. And so I didn't take any SATs and no ACE, you know, I take none of those. So I wasn't even prepared to go to college. I personally felt I needed the uh, that next year for maturity, right? When you think about, I was 16 when I graduated. I was literally 16 years old. I had no life experience at all, okay? Except a um, two-year-old. And a two-year-old, right. Almost three, yeah. And so um, my friends were going to Florida A&M. So my mom asked me, because I was, here's what I asked my mom, believe it or not. I would go like once a year to the hairstylist. And I've always been good in math and science. And so, of course, you're sitting all day at a salon. And I was counting her money. I was like, hmm. Okay, she got six people waiting, five people done gone. I'm still sitting here and they're paying her. So my mind says, what if I go to cosmetology school? I could learn how to do hair. This was 16. I could learn how to do hair. I could make money. That would give me a job. And then I could, you know, go to college after that. So then I would have a way to take care of myself because I was not on public assistance. I did not get food stamps. I didn't get any of that. My mother would not allow me. So I didn't get any of that. So when I asked her, could I go? She was like, no. You know, I guess it was the beauty school dropout kind of thing. Right. You only go there if you can't do anything else. She's like, there's no money in here. Now, mind you, my mother got a jerry curl. She only went three times a year. So she could only count her pocket. Like, well, I spend... $210 a year. How in the world are you going to live on $210 a year? Well, I was counting everybody else. She was just counting one. And so I didn't know how to really create an argument. And I didn't really think about that. That was her frame of reference versus my frame of reference. So I didn't know how to articulate that at the time, which I probably could have convinced her and would have now said, can we go and talk to the hairstylist you take me to? Right. Well, how much does she make so she can let you know? Because I'm sitting here on this one time a year and I didn't count a couple hundred dollars just just now. So that was it. And so she wouldn't let me go. She drove me to Tallahassee, Florida, and we met with the assistant um, dean. uh, And that's how I got in school. I didn't even I never took a. Yeah. He asked me a few questions. I had good grades. I think he was probably. Um, amazed at the fact that I had a three-year-old and I graduated. So literally when I started college, I had just turned 17. I was um, um, about three, uh, three weeks past 17. Mm -hmm. And I, I tell you, I had no life experience. That was, that was a whole different world. I mean, I was raised in the country. So I'm in school with girls that were, they were just amazing to me. They were just, you know, proper and they just, I don't know. It was just amazing to me, but I felt out of place um, because I was just so young. And the thing with being 17, I couldn't do anything my freshman year because it required 18. So my freshman year wasn't the best year, meaning from an activity standpoint, because all I could do is go to class. And wear suits. You could wear suits. 
I could wear suits. <laughs> and I wanted, originally, I, I went to school for science. I was going to be a doctor. I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. Um, but again, those labs got me. You got to sit in labs three and four hours a day. I was like, oh, this is going to drive me nuts. I can't do that long. And I just, I did it. And then when I, when I mapped it out, it was like 12 years. And I could not see sacrificing my son for 12 years, like having him go through this journey with me when I knew this right here and the separation. I just did not want that. I knew, you know, I made a decision to keep this child then I need to do what's required to take care of him. So that's when I changed my major. I changed it initially from science um, to, I was going to major in biology. Um, I went into um, computer science and I had never owned a computer. <laughs> and back then we had COBOL and Fortran and they had ones and dots and zeros and it didn't make sense to me. And I was like, okay, I, I, I'm sitting up four o'clock in the morning trying to find a period that caused 400 errors. This is crazy. And so I switched to business. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. And All that, in my and, first semester, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, so, uh, so we'll fast fast forward uh, all the way back to where you're talking to the nail tech options. Uh, options, options. Yeah, <laughs> and he said, you know, you're going to have options, and you're like, options, options. Yeah. So, and so at that point, um, I knew I would be good. I mean, you know, I, it was my thing is I'm going to be good at anything that I do. But nails was always a priority for me. Um, that is what I absolutely love. And to this day, if I went back into industry, you know, in a salon, I would do nails and then I I do lashes. <laughs> I do <laughs> nails and lashes. You know, I, I I love hair. I love cutting. That is my main thing. I love cutting. So if I could just cut hair and be done, I would do that. Um, That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but... Um, I got in school and I did well. And I spent my entire time in school um, planning to open a business. So everything that I learned in school and all of our assignments was always for me centered around opening my business. I was 32. I was 32, eight years out of college. I had worked for eight years. I was married. I had a four-year-old and the school I chose was two hours away. So I wasn't even staying at home. I literally rented a room from my sister's friend's aunt for $50 a week. So I could go to this particular school. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, you talk about putting like challenges in your, in your way. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's crazy, yeah. man. And so at that time, my son was 16 when I decided this career change. Um, and at 16, yes, we were having 16 year old issues. Sure. And he was with my mom and uh, my mother would call and I had just made a decision. You know, I had done well by him and now it was his time to make choices and he was making choices. And I am a big believer of you will live by the choices that you make. I will tell you what my role in your choice is going to be. And that's what I'm going to do or not do. And so um, I, I, I wanted a son and I wanted a son that a woman could be proud of. <laughs> So I was not going to raise someone who, you know, his mom made excuses for him like his grandmother did. <laughs> oh, snap. And so, listening in. <laughs> yeah. So when my mother um, called and said, well, he's not going to school and he's not doing this. You know, I literally sat down and I thought, OK, should I go back home? Should I just forget about this? And then I said, no, no, I'm not. This is a learning lesson for him. I decided in life what I wanted. 
I wanted a high school diploma. I wanted this. You know, I wanted a college degree. He's going to have to decide what he wants. And I'm not giving this up for him. So on the weekend, I went home and um, he said he was just he was angry at me because I wouldn't leave him in Michigan. That's what it all boiled down to. He was a senior in high school and he decided he wasn't going to finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I told him and I took him. I walked him over to my high school trophies. I walked him over to my high school diploma, to my college diploma, to my master's degree. And I said, you see all of this. It has my name on it. I'm OK. I've done this. Not one of these has your name on it. So if you don't want that for yourself, there's nothing I can do. I did this for me, which yes, helped you, but you're going to have to do this for yourself. And if you don't feel a need in it, bud, you're not stopping my life one way or the other. I'm going to keep it moving. Mm. And that's exactly what I did. I went back that Sunday, back to Chicago and (laughs) back to cosmetology school. I was not dropping out. Mm. Yeah. So did go ahead. So did, did did he ever decide to go back to get his high school diploma? Never did. He never did. And when I tell you there is someone, you know, I knew there was something special about this child. <laughs> but um, he now works for Ford. And um, he back in Michigan? Worked, no, he's in Kentucky. And um, you know, one of the things that um, when I guess there is favor on your life. Um, if there's just favor on your life. And he took a job as a, in, in a company that serviced Ford in the plant and made built relationships that when they hired people recommended him without a high school diploma, he got hired. And one of the requirements was you're supposed to have a high school diploma. He's been there almost 10 years now. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, I, I, and I agree with you because I, uh, every morning when my children would leave for school, uh, I would always tell them, I said, and don't forget you're blessed and highly favored. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so that way they, they, they walk into school and no matter what happens, you know, they, they, they walk in with strength and confidence. Yeah. And yeah. We, you I know, have. I think as a parent, one of the things that I tell people is we make mistakes by not wanting our kids to fall. You know, it's not like when they ride a bike and they fall. Life is life is going to throw them some curveballs. And I just wanted, you know, when I realized that I made a decision at 13, you are now 16 years old, 17. He had just turned 17. Um, you're 17. You're going to be somebody's father, somebody's husband, somebody's, you know, you're going to have to make that decision. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself. I am not going to force you to get something that you don't want, but you're going to see that you need it at some point. And I told him all of this that I got for me, I wanted it. Nobody forced me to do it. I wanted it. So if you don't want it, I'm not going to force you to do it, even though I know it's best for you. Mm. And so, yeah, he has struggles. He did, um, you know, and he has uh, his oldest daughter. He, he got a young lady pregnant at 19 and uh, he was 19. She was 16. I was, I had an issue with that, as you know, <laughs> and uh, really I did. But um, beautiful young woman. She was smart as a whip is. And um, it just got to the point that I shifted my attention to her versus him. And um, I was like, look, one of y'all going to need to do this. And you've got the greatest potential right now. So I'm going to go with potential. And so um, she struggled a little bit in and out of uh, trying to finish school. So 
we moved her into our home and he was not there and um, kept the baby with her. She stayed. And now she's a nurse, um, bachelor's degree in nursing. I think she's got her master's or she's working on her master's. My grandbaby is now 25 years old, works for Amazon, just completed her master's degree, finished um, University of Illinois in three years with two degrees. Wow. Yeah. Well, she's a chip off the old block. Huh? I mean, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's pretty she awesome. actually looks just like I do. She is like, Stop. yes, she literally looks like me. And my daughter does not. I'm like, my daughter, you know, is a good combination between me and her father. But definitely my granddaughter looks like she is my child. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So when you graduated uh, cosmetology school, like what, what, how long did you do hair? And then, you know, when did you kind of make the shift into, you know, the, the other side of our industry? Okay. I um, decided early on, I was only going to do hair for about 14 years behind the chair. I knew I was going to stay in the industry, but remember I came out of corporate. Um, I, I took a step back and the beauty industry allowed me the freedom, flexibility, and the finances. That's what I wanted. Um, my daughter was four at the time and I did not want to miss out on the things with her that I did with my son and corporate would not allow me to be there with her in the manner that I wanted to, because I knew that potentially this is my last child. I'm not, you know, doing this again and they're 12 years apart. And, um, so I really want to slow it down. I wanted to be available. Um, and so she was in first grade first kindergarten or first grade when I actually started um, licensed. And I knew when she got in high school, I would pivot. Um, she would not need mom as much. She's going to be hanging with her friends. And so it would be a perfect time for me to go back into corporate. But I realized also that if I stayed out of corporate with that gap, it would make it harder for me to go back into corporate with the revenue, you know, at the pay scale that I wanted if I didn't do something in between. So I was very active in the community with different organizations in different positions that would that I could make relatable as a skill set going back into corporate when I chose to do that. So, you know, joining United Way, I joined as a volunteer, ended up uh, in a few years becoming the president of the, you know, Northwest Illinois chapter of United Way. So you're handling budgets, you're dealing with agencies, you're doing all of that. I then uh, I opened in in I, my first salon right out of high right out of cosmetology school was a little like a suite now so that's the size of it and I brought in one young lady that went to cosmetology school with me from Chicago she moved to Freeport two hours away and she was my first booth renter and we worked together for years and then I grew my salon. Uh, to a full service, went to the bank, borrowed $100,000, opened the first full service multi-ethnic salon in our community. And um, that didn't go so well, but I learned a lot. Didn't go so well. Um, And I realized that I was the issue. As with a lot of owners, it's all about me and not about us. I thought it was about us, but I was so afraid with the investment that I was focused on, can I repay the loan versus not listening. And so I I learned a lot. I've got a book that's unpublished about that whole experience um, that people keep saying, you really need to publish this book. And I think I probably will by the end of this year. Um, But it really tells a true, honest story about uh, my failure and that I was the cause of it. And it's really like, you know, now consulting, 
I see it time and time again, where owners, it's all about them and not about the team. And I knew better because I came out of corporate. I should have, you know, and a lot of those things, when it's yours, you just don't see it the same way. And I should have. Um, so yeah, that happened. It reminds and, me of, uh, Tony and I just finished reading a book called uh, Extreme Ownership. It's it's written by Jocko Willick, um, who was a Navy SEAL. And he talks about like, you know, um, in combat, you know, where extreme ownership is, is so important. And then what he does is, is they end each chapter um, with, with how this applies, how this lesson applies to the corporate world. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a, a sweet owner like we are, or if you're, you, you have a, a Forbes 500, you know, the, all the, these lessons are, these lessons are lessons of business, you know, and uh, it it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And I, I also commend you too, because, you know, you were taking that extreme ownership. I was the problem. And that's kind of what the book is about. Like, no, 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 no. At, at the end of the day, it all comes back to you. Yeah. You know, and you, it does. And one of the things, you know, that and that's why I'm so passionate about business for um, our industry. It is something we don't get. It's something I realized that was lacking in cosmetology school. It is still lacking in cosmetology school. And um, because we are such independents in this country now in the United States, our industry is now moving more toward independence. And they're going to have to have that skill set. And for so long, you know, you know, though, Carla, it makes sense because I think, and I don't know if, I don't know what the numbers are, but mm -hmm. I think the numbers, retail sales are down because of salon suites, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, we can't, as a salon owner, I can't bring in ten, twenty thousand $20,000 worth of product, you know, monthly, where, whereas a salon with, 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 with 30 people can do that easily, right? Which, right. which all benefits the, the product company. And most schools are, most you know, most schools that, that are accredited and that are really good like are, are somewhere in that retail world, right? Whether it's a Paul Mitchell or it was Graham Webb or, or whatever, you know, these schools have, have these, um, have these retail backgrounds. So, mm -hmm. so of course they're not going to be teaching business because in, in the long, in the long scale, you know, if you, if you scale that out 10 years, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of killing yourself a little bit. So there's definitely space, but our industry is always like, there's always been an issue. I don't want to say issue. I don't know what the right word is, but ever since we were just out of school, there's something missing between working on the floor and graduating school. Like, like, like there, there, there's a hole there that no one's really been able to fulfill there. And that goes both in like the skill in which we do mm -hmm. hair and also with, with, with business, you know, with the business and how to run it like a business. And here's the thing. Schools have and, and I used to I was the um, I was a two time regional director and the first national director of clinic with Empire Beauty Schools. I literally pulled a Jerry Maguire moment and wrote this manifesto and sent it up at three o'clock in the morning. My mother said, they're going to fire you if you send that thing up. And I said, well, if they're going to fire me for showing them how to make money and where they're missing money in this program, um, then I don't, I'm, I'm with the wrong company. Did and you get fired? No, they actually created that position, <laughs> National Director of Clinic, and put me in it. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yay! I was with the company four months. I'd only been employed four months when I did that. And um, one of the disconnects was if we're if you're if it's a training program. All right. One, stop treating them like high school students. These are adults with real issues. They have kids. They have whatever. But they are adults. And we really need to shift the mindset from these kids. They're not kids. This is their first year. This is post-secondary. This is college. And I said, we really need to start operating from day one as if they are on the job. 
all of the rules, everything, an unexcused absence. It should be set up as if they are employees on a job. So how they're trained is there's no disconnect when they move from being, quote, student to now being employed. Um, Most instructors will say, well, our whole job is to get them to pass state board. No, if you do your job, state board is a given. Yeah, I said it. If you do your job, state board is a given. When And here's the thing. When my salon failed and closed, okay, I didn't have any stylists. They did a walkout. I turned it into a school. I owned a school for six years. And I was very intentional. This is not just about hair. This is about you understanding how to be successful in this industry. And it does start with not doing the hair, but understanding the industry from a business standpoint. How am I going to get a client? What am I going to do to get a client? What, you know, not only when I get them, how do I keep them? So my philosophy is recruitment happens. So to get the client, that's an activity that happens outside of the salon. That's an outside activity. Retention is everything that goes on from the minute that customer contacts you to the time they walk through the door and sit in your seat. That's all about retention. So everything that you do from that point on is all about keeping. And those are two different things. So you can't do the same thing to get them. You've got to do something greater to keep them. And the other disconnect we have is where we see our industry's business different than any other business. The the fundamentals of business don't change whether I worked at General Motors, didn't change when I was a uh, pharmaceutical sales rep for Pfizer, um, when I was the national director of clinic or the director of education for Softshin Carson, a division of L'Oreal. The fundamentals of business have not changed. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. Um, and I put you on the spot a little bit. What are those fundamentals? What are the things that that that, that you, you're doing at General Motors that that also need to be done behind the chair or or within salon ownership? And that that and and then follow that question up. Is your business behind the chair any different than than the owner that that, that owns the salon? Other than you know you've got all the bills. Absolutely not. So first thing, the fundamentals of business is: Do you just understand? Do you understand the math of your business? How do you generate revenue? Okay. Us, we need clients. Now, people will say, oh, we could do anybody. Yes, you can. But anybody's not your right fit or your ideal client. Now, here's my belief. I think we spend too much time talking about an ideal client. And I'm going to tell you why. I, my preference of my client would be uh, um, uh, mature women with stable jobs that find beauty as a necessity. So they're going to budget for my services. But I know that I like professional women. Why? I attract professional women. So that was my main clientele. But that didn't mean I didn't position myself to service anybody else. And I think we spend too much time in this industry teaching people about, oh, you can only serve your ideal client. Well, honey, let me tell you, if you can serve 100% of your ideal client and be highly successful, every company would be doing that. Coca-Cola has a right fit client, but they also service other people who are part of uh, the brand franchise. They will purchase Coke for whatever reason, but they're not classified as their ideal client, right? Or ideal core user. Um, We've got to get out of that. So what I tell people is you have uh, three levels of customers. You've got your primary, you got your secondary, and you got tertiary. 
tertiary are the people you want to get rid of that will just love you to death and they won't leave. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to do no more. But for some reason, there is something about you that they come, but they are the thorn in your side every time they do. Um, the secondary people are the people that you like doing. They just don't come as often as you would like, right? And your primary customers, the one that you absolutely love, are the people that do exactly what you want, let you do what you want, okay? Because it's stylist. It's all about us, okay? Unfortunately, it's like they let me do what I want. They don't give me pushback. And that's okay if they do because they ought to be getting what they want, not about what you want to give them. And so um, the fundamentals is all about understanding, one, what are the metrics in your business? Key. One is retention, rebooking. Um, the revenue generation, what's your goal? And I tell people really easy. I make it simple, like a formula. Your business is all about personal, business, and then total. So what are my personal needs? Financial. What are my business requirements? Financial. I add those two together and then I get the total revenue needed. Most only operate business from the business need, and they totally forget to build in their personal needs. So when they're short at the end of the month, they can't figure out why. It's because you've missed a whole $3,000 of rent and daycare and car notes. You're okay. only focused on what it takes you to operate. Okay, so- That's brilliant. Yeah, and I, and I wanna break that, I wanna break that way, 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 way down. Okay. okay. So so I wanna make 100,000 a year, right? Yeah. Like that's my, so so in your formula, that's the personal, that's the personal bit of it? It could be, if you want, and that's the question. We are running out here telling stylists, oh, be a six-figure stylist. I say, is that six-figure in revenue or six-figure in profit? That's a difference, okay? Right. Now, if you want to make $100,000 and be six-figure, does it include your personal expense requirement? And what percentage of that 100000 is that? Because we need to know it. So if I take the 100000 which is simple math, $8,333 a month, okay? That's what that is. And if I take that, what percentage of that 8,333 has to go home? What percentage goes into me being able to operate my business? And then what last percentage is profit? Profit is what's required for my business to grow. I've got to have additional cash flow outside of I can't keep breaking even. You will never grow a business on break even. Mm. Yeah, you're struggling at break even. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> really basic math. And that's what I t and that's what we don't get. We're so focused on get the client. But how do I get the client? Because they don't teach me that in school. They just tell me I get a business card. Well, now we got social media. You got to post forever in a day. I tell people, if you go on my Instagram and you look at the last time I posted, it might be a month ago, could be two months. But I show up in other places. I have an email list that has over 11,000 stylists. I've got, you know, I do lives. I'm in groups. Um, I might do, I choose to do stories. I like stories better. I don't do reels yet. Um, but I am an advocate for looking at how to integrate those in your marketing plan and program. How do they fit? I'm also an advocate of now that we have Clubhouse, let's throw Clubhouse in the mix. However, for stylists, are you going to seek customers or are you going to gain knowledge? What's your strategy in using that platform? Because, um, you know, for stylists, it may not be the place to go 
find a client, but it is a place where in the right room, you can get very good information. So do you, do you teach all this? Yes, I do teach that in my program. I have a um, program that's called My Beauty Biz Lab, and it is specifically designed for people who want to accelerate their pathway to profit behind the chair. The things that you learn, it's a seven phase framework that I created because I went back into business. And what do all businesses have? It's a component, right? And so one of the things, and, and actually I took it from how I just worked in, you know, when I was with General Motors or when I was with um, uh, Empire. And so if I think about my goals, one is start with your goal. And I always start with the revenue goal. Most people want to talk about, well, I want a full book of business. Okay, we can back into what a full book looks like, but I need to know first how much you need and want to make. That need is the personal, the business could be the want, and then we add those together and we get that $100,000. And so from the $100,000, we're now going to break that up. That's $8,333 a month. But here's the kicker where I'm different is most people will work on averages. Well, there's four weeks in a month. No, I want to know how many days a week you're working. I mean, a days a month you're working because I like exacts. We're not going to deal in averages. We can deal in averages when we're talking about your success. What my average ticket price is, but you're going to know what it is. Um, all of these things. But I want to first really get you to understand why in different months, your money is not the same. So if I tell you 8,333 per month, that's a fact, okay? But if I tell you to divide it by four, that's an average, and you may fall short this month. Do you divide? Do do you divide it by four or four point two? I don't divide it by anything. I literally make them count out a year how many days of that month you're working. Mm. We go with exacts. What do I need to make per day of every day that I'm working? I can give you an average, and they're not too far off. But here is why I like to do it that way, because if you fall short. There's no, you know, when companies miss, when I worked for corporate, I didn't get to forget about a miss. When um, I had a budget, I was a two-time campus president and my last position with Fortis College in Alabama, we had, of course, a budget. My revenue goal was nearly $2 million. Now, from an educational standpoint, we only make money on tuition, okay? So, How many students do I need in what program? So now I've got to look at every program because every program has a different pricing structure, right? Could be 11,000 to be in this program, 22,000. So I literally had to break out like in moving this into the salon arena. What are your revenue centers in your salon? Is it hairstyling? Is it color? Is it whatever, right? Nails could be lashes. So whatever you do, however you generate your revenue, we need to break those out. So these are what I call revenue centers and where we spend our money. The expenses are our cost centers, right? And so it's the same thing. It's no different. So the reason I have them to look at dividing by day, January is 31 days. Uh, March is 31 days, May is 31 days, July is 31 days, December is 31 days. You are going to have more days in that month working than any other month, which means the average that you need to bring in per day are going to be lower in those months because you got more days you're working. But what if I need to bring in $340 a day and I only brought in $290? I missed it by what, $50? Do you let that $50 go? 
No, we don't. We move that $50 into the next day. And then we look at our book and we figure out how are we going to get an extra $50? This is where, when, and I taught this in school. I teach this to students. This is what they learned with me. I got rid of that chapter that tells you how to make a 3D salon. I think that is the biggest mistake. <laughs> uh, and sorry, my ladies, but it is something we really need to change that because let me tell you why. Think about it. We've made it a competition. Students bring in and some students have brought that project in on a flatbed truck. Do you hear me? On the back of their daddy's truck, F4150. It's that large. We've gone to Michael's and we've created this beautiful 3D salon. And that's all they think is needed to be successful when they get in the real world. I go, And that's why stylists will say, oh, my walls are going, and the wallpaper I picked out and the chairs and the furniture. Everybody can tell you the aesthetics of the salon, but that's not what makes you successful. Mm. If I don't teach you how to one, identify who you want to serve, how you want to serve them, because I tell people we have availability, capacity, and flexibility. Those three things must be met. If you don't have the availability, you don't have the capacity to do what's required to get to the number that you desire, and you're not flexible enough, which means I only work three days a week and I work these hours, that may not happen unless you have the right price point. And those are the things I teach. I am not one of those people that just say, oh, well, you just do this and now you got it. Because here's what happens when I become cookie cutter. Their business isn't cookie cutter. I want to teach them how to pivot based on what's going on at any point in time in their business. That means I don't have your standard membership. And so we do business. And so I... My Beauty Biz Lab gives them the framework. And then I just launched a, a entry program into the membership because I decided I don't want to drop or drip content any longer. I want to work with CEOs. I want to work with presidents, meaning I want them to have that mindset. So I now launched a one-day workshop that's called 112.6. It is one day, six hours, and we map out your 12-month plan, your profit plan. Boom. And once we map it out, and that includes your marketing strategy, I got a simple way to do that. And we just lay it out in this, in this um, grid because there's only five, five promotions a salon will ever run. You will either run a promotion for new clients, which I recommend you always have one for new clients. You can do it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's when the special is. I don't care when you do it, just have one, okay? Um, you should have a loyalty program. Always for customers who are your ride and die, celebrate them. You should have a retail promotion, an events promotion calendar, and a holiday promotion. That's the only thing. Everything we do in this industry falls in one of those five categories. I love it. It's like so. It sounds so simple. It you is. Know, so it. now if I take the grid, all I have to do is say in January, new your, your new client, you know, you're going to run a promotion for 12 months. Each month, I'm going to have a new client promotion. It could be the same one. Right. So I just have one. It's the same one. I do it the whole year. Now, based on the month, what other category am I going to check off that I am going to focus a promotion in? Now it's so simple. You know exactly. We've mapped it out. The, the work becomes is what is that promotion? I know I want a it's Mother's Day. I'm going to do a Mother's Day promotion. OK, you have checked the events or the holidays. You've checked the holiday and 
90 days, we start planning our events 90 days in advance. And what I tell people is the reason your promotions aren't as successful is you don't have a service cycle time built in. Do you do or see all of your clients in eight weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks, or 12 weeks? That's when you need to start your promotion planning. So your promotion needs to launch so that it can have time to inform your entire service cycle. That could be eight weeks ahead. Well, so, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're saying, so you're saying like, if I'm doing a Mother's Day thing, I want to start like 12 weeks out with it. So I, so if I have a 12 week turnaround on my clients. Yes, I want, I want to start promoting that we're going to have this promotion because if you don't see those people, they've missed it. So you're promoting it or you're actually having it? I, I no, we're promoting it. So if I want to sell gift certificates or I want to book appointments for spa day for my mom, I'm doing that in advance. I have, I start promoting that this is what we're doing and you can buy now or it's coming. Think about what they do in Christmas. They don't wait to Christmas. They start in September putting out Christmas stuff. Right. right. Okay. I know, I know when our, I know when our uh, distributors come in, they come in and like, actually we're here real soon. They'll be coming in in August talking about Christmas. You know? Exactly. We should be following the same retail strategies as a Walgreens, a Walmart, a Publix, the same thing, a Bed Bath & Beyond, Bath & Body Works. It's retail. The retail strategies are the same. We think because we're in the beauty industry, they should be different. Absolutely not. It's the same consumer who has the same buying behavior. Boom. Carla, uh, speaking about retail, so when you when you go down to, you know, $8,333 a month equals $100,000 a year, um, mm-hmm. is that just service dollars or is that no. also, you also we, have retail dollars into that? And then how do you, like my expense for retail is much, much greater than my expense for even a highlight. So yeah. how, how does that break down within the business? Okay. So here's the thing. I created a, a um, I'm a spreadsheet sheet queen. So all of my members get spreadsheets and I make it, I make this very simple because Stylists aren't always the best mathematicians. And I understand that. So they don't need to be. So I have these custom made um, spreadsheets that have the formulas already built in and they're locked. So they can't even damage it. And all they have to do in our planning, we have a planning grid. So this is where we map out that $100,000. And then what happens is once we go through that is what are your revenue? So I want to, I want, let's just say 80% of my revenue in service dollars. All right. And then I want 20% in retail, or I might want 10% in retail and another 10% in gift certificates or something else I know I'm going to participate in. Then I have them at the bottom, of course. It's a it's a PL, profit and loss statement, a projected one. And then we plug in what your expenses are for the business. I have the same one for personal. Okay. But the top of it says my income. So I need to be bringing in $3,500. i am just making it up. Right. And so that's my income. And then below that are all of the monthly expenses. Now, how do we get those? I tell them to pull their bank statements from 90 days and let's look at where you spent your money. Mm. And, we're go- and we'll start there. Because there are some things that you will say were miscellaneous. I can cut. I don't have to do that. And then I'm more interested in the per, the things that are required and then we move down of course we have your you know the living expenses the must-haves then we have the insurances and all of those which are still must-haves we have savings and then miscellaneous is last miscellaneous is that discretionary money that we can we can control those so right. where are you choosing to put that money i would i like savings and investing for you know retirement we're talking about that 
But uh, instead of Starbucks, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that's what I want them to see. I want them to see when we say we don't have money, we're spending it somewhere. And most Dallas don't write it down. It's not in front of their face. When I can put in front of your face how much you're actually spending and why you don't have money to reinvest in your business, then the light bulb comes on and says, oh, shoot, literally, guys, I now either make my own coffee or I go. The only time I buy Starbucks is when I'm traveling for business. That's the only time. I do not go to Starbucks here in Atlanta, Georgia and sit unless I'm meeting someone there and we're having a, a miss a business meeting or something. But I go to the I go to QT or Wawa or whatever, right? I'm going to get that dollar eighty nine cup of coffee. <laughs> I know like Shell is a dollar any size. All right. right. Get the so, as long as they have, you know, the flavored coffee and my sweeteners or whatever, I am good. I can customize it. Why? because I made a, a decision a long time ago that I didn't need $7 coffee five days a week. Right. I really just wanted the coffee flavored and then I could now move that money. So I'm very intentional with it. I used to have a program called Live Debt Free by Design. And it was really birthed out of a very critical situation that I found myself in when my husband uh, lost his job. $50,000, 50 something thousand dollars, immediately gone. What are we going to do? We got a daughter in college, $1,000 a month. We got a mortgage, $2,200 a month. We got all these expenses and now that's gone. Literally um, in 20 years, we had been trying to just save and pay debt, pay debt, you know, as a couple. Never did it. But honey, when he lost their job and stuff got real, we literally in 18 months were out of debt. Mm. I didn't miss a beat. So you know, I'm going to, I would love to do like a 20 minute podcast mm-hmm. on that, on how you guys did that. So I don't want to get into, okay. no that, I would love to book that yeah. in the future and like, and do like a 20 minute one of like, how do you get out of debt? I yeah. love that idea. And I now built it into my beauty biz lab and it's called, um, our, uh, moolah money lab. Love it. Mm-hmm. That's it's what the podcast is I love it. Yeah, we'll get yeah, that. We'll that, that yeah, that comes with, you know, my beauty biz lab. Perfect. And actually, um, what we I've done different. I'm launching the 2.0 version. I've had this version for a year. And I'm the kind of person I like to look at what's not there. I like to find the gaps. I've been very successful in looking in places where other people overlook. And so um, one of the things that I realized is we do have a lot of memberships out here, but they're singular memberships. So if a person wanted to get business, there's one for marketing and business. There's one for, you know, let me help you with your social media and da, 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 da. Well, by the time you add up all of these things, we're over a hundred dollars, you know? And so are we really helping stylists in that manner? And so my goal has always been to help volume. I want to help the masses at a very economical and affordable, forgettable price. So my beauty biz lab was the venue or the the forum that I launched last year. And we just had the business part of it. And then I thought about it and it was $10 a month and it's still $10 a month. And then I said, well, you know what? In working with the stylist and each month we, you know, we have a, a, a they get content that's pre um, uh, recorded, but I also do like a four hour end of the month training and live Q&A where they get to submit questions and we answer every question, no matter what, if we got to go to a spreadsheet to figure it out, we, we calculate and work through it. And um, I was like, you know what, with the questions that I'm asking, that they're asking, they, I really need to look at a way that stylists can customize their own experience in their membership. 
So I want to make it affordable, but I also want to make it one place where they can get, it's not the in all and be all, which means they, they have the opportunity to take advanced classes, other places that are much more. But um, I decided to handpick um, what I'm calling lab leaders. And we're adding on to my beauty biz lab is the business foundation that comes from um, that one day workshop. So the one twelve six one day workshop, they then sign up. And then what we do the entire year is we literally work on their business goals. What was that revenue goal? So when they mapped it out in 112.6, that is actually what my beauty biz lab now is about. Not about dripping content. It is about every week we're meeting um, and planning. Did you hit that goal? What did you, you know, you were lacking on and what, what's the new strategy? How do we shift or pivot? Because we don't, we don't miss money. If we miss money and don't make it up, we don't make the hundred thousand. We might get to 82,000. We might get to 76,000. So I figured that it was better for me to support them in that than to give them, you know, well, how to take a picture with your phone. Okay. We can add that in. So how can our listeners find you then? Okay. So on all social media platforms, they can find me. My username is at I am Carla Jones. That's Twitter, uh, Clubhouse, Instagram, Facebook. Um, Of course, I have Salon Solutions Group on Facebook as well. And um, if they are interested in information on my Beauty Biz Lab, they can just click the link in my bio on Instagram and sign up for the wait list. And so now my Beauty Biz Lab, we're relaunching in July. It's going to have um, four labs in my Beauty Biz Lab that come complimentary with the $10 a month. So they'll have the social lab. So each month I, I... will pay a graphic designer to um, create templates for them for social media. So wow. they'll be story templates. So they'll get that. They don't have to pay extra for it. We have Moolah Money Lab because I want to teach them about how to manage their money, right? This is not about credit repair. This is not about any of that. <clears throat> um, this is all about how do I manage money and become a better steward of that in Moolah Money Lab. And then I also have Tech Lab. So Tech Lab is all about new resources that are available to them in terms of is it a um, um, a new platform for email marketing? Is it a you know platform for graphic design? Whatever. So they'll they'll know what's latest from free version to investment at some level. And then the other labs, now that's all for $10. And then where they get to customize their experiences, I decided to add additional labs. So you have the Barber Lab, the Derma Lab, that's for estheticians. You've got the Texture Lab, the Nail Lab, uh, and the Cut and Color Lab, Wealth Lab and Legal Lab. The Legal Lab is being hosted by uh, my stepdaughter, who is a lawyer. And I believe, honey, we're not lawyers, so I'm bringing a lawyer in. And so in the legal lab, each one of those outside labs are $9.99 in addition a month. So they get to pick. I want legal lab. I want wealth lab, um, who's a licensed financial planner. And so $9.99 a month. So I want wealth building the whole nine yards. So now the stylist can customize their lab in cut and color lab, as opposed to spending 200, I've found Georgia Reed. Georgia Reed is going to be joining me as the person who is going to spearhead the cut and color lab. So each month they get a new technique, they get theory, they get the whole nine yards. So I believe in foundation first, then the technique. 
Once you understand how the foundation was built, now you can make decisions on how you move from there based on what the customer wants. Boom. I love it. Dude, you, 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 it's pretty, I can't believe that you get all that for like nine bucks a month either. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then, I mean, then you have the add-ons there, but, but, but the base that, that, that's incredible. Yeah. Miss Carla Jones, we, we did it. That's we what did happens it. when you got a, like uh, a brilliant mind. That's you know? it. Right. <laughs> exactly. You can make it happen like that. Uh, yeah, exactly. We love you. Love you, Carla, thank man. You. Thank you, man. Thank Thanks you. for hanging out with us. And yeah, let's get that. Let's get that on the book. But um, but yeah. for right now, thank you very much for hanging out with us, and thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Well, thank you. <laughs> okay, guys. Hey, hey. So there it is. Hey, this is a message that um we've been trying to bring. I don't know for the last couple of months. Actually, since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. Peace and hair grease.